This is the sermon podcast of Lord of Life Lutheran Church in Columbus, Ohio, where we proclaim God's extravagant grace, radical inclusion, and relentless compassion. Join us for worship Sundays at 8 a.m., 9 a.m., or 11.15 a.m. For more information, please visit our website at www.acceptingall.com. The Holy Gospel according to Matthew, the sixth chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said to his disciples, Beware of practicing your piety before others in order to be seen by them. For then you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Whenever you give alms, do not sound a trumpet before you as hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets so that they can be praised by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But when you give alms, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your alms may be done in secret and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And whenever you pray, do not be like the hypocrites for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and street corners so they can be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward. But whenever you pray, go into your room and shut the door. Pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And whenever you fast, do not look dismal like the hypocrites. They disfigure their faces as to show others their fasting. Truly, I tell you, they've received the reward. But when you fast... Put oil on your head and wash your face so that your fasting may be seen not by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust consume, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust consume, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The Gospel of the Lord. Grace and peace be yours. Grace and peace be yours. This is how she said it to me. Well, it wasn't actually just me, it was us. It was four pastors. How you see God can mess you up. We were in Kafrakana. It was Western Galilee. It took a number of hours to find where we're going. Our driver didn't know where we're going. We got lost. We were late. They didn't seem to mind. In fact, they just called a few women from town. They came. They met us there. We were at a place called Sinyana, um, cooperative of Arab and Israeli women, Jews and Muslims and Christians who were committed to working together and protecting one another and doing the things that made for peace. You can order the olive oil online. You can order it at Serve, Lutheran Federation, uh, Fair Trade. It's organically grown, cold-pressed, just won Italy's uh, Premio Bio double gold standard. Some of the best olive oil in the world just shipped right to your door. It's not a commercial and I don't have olive oil every day, but when I do, it's Sinyana. <laughs> they served us tea, shared some of their story, how they began as a basket-weaving cooperative of women just to get together and to pray with each other because it was the only thing they thought of that they could do to make for peace. 
But then they realized what was happening to century-old Palestinian olive orchards, namely being destroyed by religious zealots called settlers. And they banded together to protect each other. I want to make sure you get this. Arab and Israeli Jews, Arab and Israeli Muslims, Arab and Israeli Christians. By the way, that's six categories, not two, not three. Protecting each other, helping each other, prune and harvest. Now a global olive business. Remarkable story. And they were not the least bit bashful in talking about God and life. As we worked together, they said, they created baskets together, they pruned together, they harvested together. As we worked together, we became aware of the God that we all knew. Judaism asserts that there's one God. Christianity asserts there's one God. Islam says there's one God. In fact, we even are talking about the same God, the God of Abraham. But they looked four pastors right in the eye and said, how you see God, however, unfortunately can really mess you up. Father Richard Rohr says it like this. He says, your image of God creates you. That's why, he says, it's important that we see God as loving and benevolent, the way God really is, and why, he adds, good theology is actually important. It's the same comment as the women in Kafirkana. How you see God might mess you up. So on a night in which we gather, not to explain, but to admit that we are messed up, it might be wise to at least entertain the thought of how it is that we see God. Because how we see God might be messing us up. A whole lot of people see God as angry, judgmental. A whole lot of people think that's what Lent is about, that that's what the cross is about, appeasing an angry God. Giving something up so that God will love you. Giving something up, like, you know, chocolate or soda or your life on a cross. And a whole lot of people think that's what being Christian is all about. Just getting your get-out-of-hell ticket punched. And a whole lot of people have been raised in families that are patterned after that image of God. And a whole lot of people, because it's the way they've seen it and heard it and been taught it, are most comfortable in systems of threats and punishments and rewards. If you do this, if you don't do this, then God will not hate you. God will not hurt you. But if you do this and if you don't do this, then God will love you and God will bless you. A whole lot of people, even church people, have been programmed to operate within a very cheap image of God. And as a result, a whole lot of us have difficulty receiving grace, accepting mercy, trusting in a loving God. And a whole lot of people, therefore, cannot admit that they're wrong because how they see God is messing them up. This is really deep stuff tonight. The simple truth is that it's really easy to organize people around fear and hatred. 
It's a lot easier to do than it is to organize them around love. I mean, you can always rabble up an angry mob for anything you want. Because the image of an angry God is just so dominant. God is always on our side. You ever notice that? It's no accident that hateful images of God motivate. If God insists on our doing something and believing something to be loved, and God won't love you if you don't, then clearly we can insist that the same kind of thing from other people. And if God's going to cast us into hell and destroy us, well, we can do that to others too. No. In the coming Sundays of Lent, we are going to hear Scripture describing God. Jesus, who himself lovingly called God Abba or Dad, Jesus will describe God as wanting to wrap her arms around us like a mother hen gathers her chicks. And Jesus will tell a story about two messed up sons, one prodigal, one self-righteous, and he'll describe God as the, the crazy father who loves them both. And ultimately, Jesus will take his place with outcasts and sinners and thieves, and he'll identify with those who are beaten and bruised and bloodied by those with some crazy notion that their image of God is the only one, and those who disagree with my image of God will crucify him. And Jesus will take it all. And with his last breath, he will not call down lightning bolts on them in justice and righteousness. In his last breath, he will say, Father, forgive them. They just don't get it. Which, of course, is why so many of the teaching of Jesus don't make much sense to us. Um, Love your enemies. Anybody heard that on a political debate yet? (laughs) Forgive, 70 times 7. Turn the other cheek. That's impossible. If someone needs a shirt, well, give them yours. Eat with sinners. Visit people in prison. Pray for the sick. Welcome those who are shunned. Weep with those who weep. You see, that image of God, that doesn't match the image of a God that you have likely carried around for a long, long time. And that's why a whole lot of people give up on God, or at least how God is presented to them. And I'll be really honest here tonight. This is a night of confession. I don't want to be around a God who kills his own child because he's angry. That's toxic. Why would you want to spend an hour, much less any more than that, in silence and solitude with that kind of God. The question of the day, why would you ever admit your sin, admit your failure, if God is an angry, vengeful God? The psalmist said it tonight in a call to worship that we hear every year on Ash Wednesday. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. You will not despise. That's not a song about an angry God. One of the big shockers of my life is when my father lost his job my, my senior year of high school. My family moved from Gehanna to rural southern Indiana. 
I finished ball season and joined my family at Christmas of my senior year, moving from the suburbs, not as big a suburb as then, but it was definitely southern, southern Indiana. And a lot of it was absolutely fantastic. We, we lived in 17 acres of wooded hillside. My father was an urban man who dreamed of living outdoors all of his life. My mom had more hummingbird feeders than the Columbus Zoo. The, the, the rest of our relatives in Pittsburgh described where we live as the campground. And we loved it. But one of the biggest shocking challenges, something I had never dealt with in my life in the suburbs was, what do you do with all the garbage? This was long before recycling, long before anybody was concerned about ozone levels. We, we had this big fire barrel. That was my job, burn a lot of things. And then we took the things that didn't burn, the stinky, smelly things, to one of the county dumpsters next to my little sister's elementary school and just down the highway from our church. So it wasn't the least bit uncommon for our family of seven to pile in a minivan, all dressed up, all washed up for church. But one or two of us were forced to carry a big black bag of the most smelled putrid garbage you can imagine. First stop, somebody would jump out as fast as you can. One of my sisters literally had a Lysol can. She would spray it when we came back in the car. Throw the garbage in the dumpster, and then we went to Faith Lutheran Church. I can assure you, we never confused the two places. (laughs) Church, church was where you put on your best, where you projected your best, your cleanest, your best face, your best clothes. And the dumpster was where you took your real stuff. I'm thinking tonight about what we might call our spiritual garbage. We, We all have some. In a moment, we're going to get down on our knees if we can and broadly cover the waterfront of our garbage. We're not going to wrap it in a black bag, but believe me, the odor will be just as unmistakable. And what I love about this night, and, and yes, I just said that, what I love about this night is that we get to bring our garbage to church. Roberta Bondi once said, the church tends to invite our noble selves, but God wants our real selves to love. The psalmist cannot possibly believe in an angry God. The psalmist does not tell us that God requires that we have everything perfect and everything right. That's what an angry God would say. The psalmist reminds us that God does not despise That God welcomes and embraces and loves us, all of us, people like us who are broken. I don't know what is messing you up this year, but I can tell you that how we see God and how we project God to each other is messing us up. It's messing up the world. And here's the truth. And because of the way you see God, you might not get this. You're encouraged to bring your garbage to church. But the only way you can really do that 
is if you trust that God really loves you. The real God, the one God, loves the real you. Amen.